So I'm speaking to you this morning on the topic of prayer, and my theme or my title is Never Stop Praying. This comes from 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It's only the three words, so I'm not going to have you stand as we read them on the screen. In the New Living Bible, it's Never Stop Praying. In the New International Version, it is Pray Continually, and in my Bible, the New American Standard Bible, it is pray without ceasing. But the point is, is that we're praying all the time. Now you wonder about this mandate to pray all the time. Why would this be so important? I mean, you can see just from these words that I've spoken thus far that that this must be a really important thing if we're to do it continually or to never stop praying. In fact, this is the main way that we connect with our Lord is through prayer. Prayer is just simply this. It's just simply the creation communicating with the creator. Simply that. Just, just whatever, that, whatever that might be back and forth. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus calls his disciples to be with him, really the apostles to be with him. And it says there in that, in that verse that he chose 12 and he called them to be with them and to send them out to heal the sick and uh, to raise the dead and to uh, preach the word. And so I read that passage for years thinking, this is what God has for us. I mean, that was the exciting part, preaching the gospel and, and raising the dead and healing the sick. I mean, that's the fun part. But I consistently looked over this first part of that passage there in Mark 3, 13, that says this, that he called them to be with him. You see, this is the first part of our calling, to be with him. And of course, prayer is part of that. It's part of communing and connecting with him. This is, this is how we develop relationship with him. I know during my Bible college days, I was able to spend 30 minutes with my family each day. And I know that didn't go well. And so my wife, my wife needed a little bit more than 30 minutes with her husband every day. So I'm wondering about this, this continuing in prayer and the relationship that we develop with that. So that's the first aspect of, of prayer. That's just to be with him. It's just to have community with the Lord. And so, so that's why it's so important that we continue to pray. The second thing is, is that prayer is often used for worship of the creator worship or the creation worshiping the creator. So in prayer, this is a big part of, big part of prayer. This is why on Tuesday nights when we gather together in, uh, for prayer, that we always spend the first half hour just worshiping the Lord because that's part of it. And you'll realize that when the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, teach us how to pray, Jesus said first, Pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. So that starts out with worship unto the Father. And so that's an aspect of prayer as well, not only building community with our Savior, but also worship. And then there's this last part, which is asking and receiving. It's interceding. I, I smile when I think about a number of years ago, actually a long time ago, uh, someone was starting a prayer ministry and they wanted me to look at their kind of their bylaws and, and that sort of thing and tell me what I thought about it. I read through it once, I read through it twice, I read through it three times. I'm like, this doesn't say anything about getting answers to prayer. I mean, that's one of the reasons we pray is to get answers to our prayers. 
So they changed it and that sort of thing. But sometimes we overlook that, that not only, we don't only seek him for communion and community and fellowship with him. We seek him in prayer to worship and uh, also to bring his kingdom to earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my spouse's life, in my kid's life. Uh, bring, your, bring your kingdom to my sick daughter. Bring your kingdom to my friends that need uh, supply in their lives. So this is why it's important and this is why it is central to the Christian faith. But statistics on American prayer life is dismally different. For example, the Pew Research Forum reported that only 45% of respondents pray daily. Only 45% pray daily. So half of us aren't praying every day. They go on to report that only 2% report praying more than five minutes a day. So half of us aren't praying and only 2% are praying more than five minutes a day. And here's the one last statistic I read in this report. 98.5% of Christians are not happy with their prayer life. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't this, isn't this good stuff? So Paul is admonishing us, never stop praying. Pray continually, pray without ceasing, and yet the sad statistic is that only half of us are praying every day, and then only for about five minutes, actually only one to two minutes, and that 98.5 of us are not happy with our prayer lives. I include myself in that. So my pain is your pain today. So how can we change that? How can we change that in our lives that prayer becomes, becomes more of a central focus and like, and like the Thessalonians, you know, we can say, yes, yes, I am uh, continually in prayer. I'm praying continually. First of all, we need to realize a couple things, really three things, not because there isn't more than three, but three is all I have time for today. <laughs> so three things that I think we can do to improve our prayer lives. The first one is this that we must become convinced that God wants us to pray. We must be convinced that this is part of how God made us. That he wants us to pray, first of all, just to have a relationship with him. To have a deepening and broadening relationship with him, but then to get answers to bring his kingdom to the earth. In fact, the Bible uses these two words when it talks about how we should be praying. The first of all is this word found in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 in our passage today that says pray continually, that it's that idea that this is something that we continually do. Not in the sense of, like I talked to a person coming in that was handing out the flyers out here by this door, I talked to a person, they said, yeah, I used to, they knew what I was preaching on, they said, yeah, I, I used to know a guy who would pray when he was driving, but he would often close his eyes and get near accidents, so, so he had to stop doing that, you know? Or, or like the guy that I knew when I was in Bible college that he, was, he told everybody he was going to pray continually, you know, so, so every time you saw him in the mail room or some other place, you know, you could see his lips moving, he was praying continually. I don't think that's a bad idea in general, 
But this isn't what it's speaking of here. It's speaking of a lifestyle of prayer. Like it says of the, of the disciples that they were continuing in the temple. Now, they didn't live in the temple. They didn't set up a cot there. But that was the manner of their life. Or like the psalmist who brings himself before the Lord with continual praise. Not that that's all he did, but that was his lifestyle, bringing continual praise. It's like a friend of mine who loves golf. In the, in the summer, he golfs multiple times a week. Uh, in the winter, he plays against the computer. And uh, uh, I mean, it, you know, the screen thing where you shoot into the screen and, and he plays matches and he just loves golf. Someone might say of him, the guy golfs all the time. Or like a friend of mine, actually a mentor of mine from years ago, every time I went to visit him, he would be praying. Every time I came to his office, I would have to wait because he'd be praying. Now, I don't know if that's, that he was praying continually or he was just praying because I was coming to visit him. I don't know. <laughs> but one could say of him, he prayed continually or he prayed all the time. It's like the parable that Jesus tells. He starts it like this, and Jesus told a parable to show that we should pray continually and not faint. And he tells this parable about a lady that's seeking protection from the judge, and the judge won't even listen to her. He won't even give her an ear. And Jesus says this judge was neither feared God or neither respected people. And what he's saying about this person is this guy don't care. He don't care. He's not afraid of God, and he doesn't respect people. He doesn't care at all. But then it goes on to say because of her continual coming, that he relented and he gave her what she wanted because she came continually. So guys, this is the idea of this verse, 517 in 1 Thessalonians, that it's not necessary that we do it all the time, but that it's something that we're doing as a lifestyle, that prayer marks our lives. 98.5 of us think we could do better. And I'm in that group. What we need is the grace of God. What we need is God's grace upon our lives to give us a prayer burden, to give us a prayer vision. We can know the right things to do, but we need the Holy Spirit to give us the power to do them. And that's what the Holy Spirit often does. So I'm just going to pray that he does that today, okay? Can we pray? So Lord, we want to say thank you for the things that you have in store for us today. We want to say thank you that you have protected your word all these thousands of years that we could look into it today to find hope and direction and meaning for our lives today. And so Lord, would you come in power by your spirit? Would you not only bring direction, but would you bring power to follow you in that direction that you're leading? Lord, meet needs in this place today. Those that have come wanting, Lord, may they leave being filled and we just pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. So first of all is this idea of continually. It's something that we continue in. But there's another aspect of this word that does mean keeping an attitude of prayer. Like the psalmist says, I have set the Lord continually 
before me. It's not, again, that he's praying continually. It's that he's set him before him continually. It is the New Testament idea of abiding, that we abide in him. This is what Jesus calls us to do in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branch. The branch cannot bear fruit unless it remains in the vine. And Jesus goes on to say, without me, you can do nothing. Let those words ring. Without me, you can do nothing. But when you abide in me, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, if you abide in me. And so it's this idea that we abide with him, that it's where we dwell, it's our resting place with him. This is not always an easy thing to do because there are so many distractions in our lives. But there's another word called devotion. We read of the early church that they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. So it's one Greek word, but it needs two English words to translate it, that the early church was continually devoting, continually devoting themselves to prayer. And both these words are found in the New Testament. Colossians says, be devoted to prayer. Here in 1 Thessalonians, of course, pray continually. So we, we have both a mandate and a model. We have both a command and a model where it's modeled for us. The early church was continually, Acts 1.14, was continually devoting themselves to prayer. This idea of devotion is that everything else pales into insignificance. Nothing is quite as important anymore. I think this is why Paul said to the Colossians, be devoted to prayer and to the Thessalonians, never stop praying or, or pray without ceasing. Because it is central to the Christian life. It is central to who we are. It is central to our relationship with Christ and central to bringing his kingdom to earth. This is how we grow in him. By being close to him, by getting underneath the spout of the Holy Spirit and letting him pour in us. It's drawing close and coming near to him. Being devoted is like Acts chapter six. In Acts chapter six, we have the first potential church split. Now this is early on in the church's life, of course. The church began in Acts chapter one, or if you wanna be technical, Acts chapter two. Uh, And by Acts chapter six, they're already facing perhaps a church split. And this is what was over. The Hellenistic Jews are those that have been, have been become essentially Greeks over the years. Uh, The Greeks, ran that territory, occupied that territory for hundreds of years. Some had become very Greek in their way. They They were called the Hellenistic Jews, and others were traditional Jews, which were called the native Hebrews in that passage. And this is what happened. The Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked in the daily giving out of bread. But the, Hebrew, uh, the, the, the uh, native Hebrews were getting bread and the others were being overlooked. Now guys, I don't know if you've ever been jealous of someone who got something that you didn't get that you thought you should get and they, anybody? Okay. I can imagine the tension. 
I can imagine what the leaders of the church thought, James and Peter and the, and the others, what they thought. I mean, this, this could be a calamity, you know? Half of the people are being overlooked and it's down, it's down like these racial lines almost, you know? It's like, there is something deeper here. There is something, something systemic going on. But here's how they respond. It would not be beneficial for us to wait on tables. Instead, choose men from among you full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and put them in charge of waiting on tables. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. As important as that was, I mean, facing a potential church split, as important as that was, we're not gonna do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. I see this often around finals time here at Christian Life College that we have here. People become devoted to studying. They might not have studied anything all semester, but the day or two before the exam, then they're devoted to it. Then you see them carrying their books around with them, stealing moments away, you know, to read and study and do those, do those sort of things. Then they become devoted We saw that after 9-11 here in this very building where after 9-11, this building was full of people seeking the Lord and had questions and felt like they felt like they they needed to draw close to God. The devotion, devotion changed. And so the Bible tells us to not only be continually in prayer, but to be devoted to prayer. That's why Paul said to Timothy at Ephesus, Timothy was a young pastor at Ephesus, and he writes Timothy and he tells him how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. And he talks to him about older men and younger men and older women and widows and younger women. He talks to him about elders and deacons and about pastors, how he should behave as a pastor. But in 1 Timothy chapter two, before he gets to any of that, he says this, First of all then, let prayers and entreaties and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. First of all, not in chronological order, but in order of importance, let it first be prayer. Let it first be prayer. Let it first be prayer before Bible study. Let it first be prayer before church attendance. Let it be first be prayer before, before giving. Let it first be prayer before serving. Let it first be prayer. Guys, guys, there is a culture. There is a church culture that we look to the right and we look to the left and we say, well, okay, I'm a little bit better than that person. I'm not quite as good as that person, but I'm getting there. And then we're like, okay, I'm good. But our whole, our whole church culture isn't that necessarily to be admired. I mean, what we should be looking at is the scriptures. That's what we should be looking at. And so, are we continually devoting prayer? This is what I love about this church, that we are, we are committed to prayer. Pastor Tom is committed to prayer. I don't know if you could tell that or not, but Pastor Tom is committed to prayer. Like Tuesday's, Tuesday's kind of our prayer day. I mean, we pray before services, and, and there's other 
times that we get together and pray. We have a revival prayer on Thursdays. But Tuesday is kind of our prayer day. And on Tuesday mornings, we have a group of men that come in early in the morning, 6.30 in the morning, and, and pray. And then after that, the staff gets together about 9 o'clock in the morning, and we pray together. And then while we're praying, another group of ladies come in, and they, they're in another room, and they begin praying. And then in the afternoon, early in the af- or late in the afternoon, we have a couple, a few people come in for healing prayer, and then they do healing prayer. And then we have our regular prayer meeting, and uh, in, in, the, in the days ahead, we'll, we'll continue to do a freedom ministry and those sort of things as well. I like that about our church. I like that we're a praying church. I like that. We have, we have all kinds of opportunities to pray. So God is calling us. God is calling us to a continual devotion, not just looking to the right or left and saying, well, I, I line up pretty good with that person or pretty good with this person. How do we line up with God's word? Help us, Lord, to be all you want us to be. So there's the devotion to prayer. So the first thing is, we must be convinced or become convinced that God wants us to pray. We must become convinced that God wants us to pray. Here's the second thing. We must become convinced that God has a plan for prayer. I have found that many people don't pray because they don't know how to pray. They don't know what to pray, you know, so, so they, they essentially don't pray. I mean, we all have foxhole prayers, you know, that when things are going really bad, you know, we, we lift up prayers to the Lord, but they don't have a system to pray. We must become convinced that God has a prayer system for us or a plan for us to pray. Now we know when the disciples went to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray, that Jesus gave them what's called the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And so from that, we can see that God wanted them first to worship, to worship, to come before him and worship. And then secondly, to confess and to seek forgiveness. And then thirdly, to bring their petition. So that's, that's one pattern. We also know that we are to pray with faith. We also know that we're to pray in Jesus' name. We also know that we're to pray according to his His will. We also know that when we abide in him, our prayers are answered. And there's, there's a few other things in that, in that genre as well. But here's a few things that you might not have thought of as a plan for prayer. First of all, before we do anything else, wait and be still. Before you do anything, wait and be still. The psalmist says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Ecclesiastes, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Jesus said that we should not use many words like the Gentiles who think they will be heard because of their many words. Guys, prayer doesn't begin with us. It begins with him. It begins with God seeking a relationship, sending his son to die on our behalf so that we could be saved from an eternal um, hell, but also that we could have relationship with him. He died so that we could have relationship with him. Prayer doesn't begin with us. Prayer begins with God. And it doesn't start with speaking, but it starts with, with seeing. It starts with seeing him. It's like, 
It's like Elijah. You might remember this account of Elijah in 1 Kings, but, but this is the whole Mount Carmel thing where, where Elijah challenges the Baal worshipers and, and he says, bring an ox in and we're going to sacrifice on the altar and we're going to call out to our gods and whoever God sends fire, that is the one who's God. And so, the, you know, the worshipers of Baal, they come and they, they're praying and yelling and shouting and cutting themselves and do all sorts of things. Nothing happens. So Elijah says, take some water and pour it on the sacrifice. So they take water, pour it on the sacrifice. Take some more water, pour it on the sacrifice. I think three times. Put some more water on the sacrifice. And then Elijah prays to God and God sends fire and consumes the sacrifice. And all the worshipers of Baal say, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. I mean, that's all they had to see. But the followers of Elijah end up killing the worshipers of Baal and this made Jezebel angry. And so Jezebel says to Elijah, I'm gonna take you and do to you the same thing you did to these worshipers of Baal. You know, essentially, I'm gonna kill you. And so Elijah takes off for the country. You know, it's like, I'm not hanging around here. He takes off and he's living in a cave. And God comes to him and says, he says, get ready because I'm going to speak. And so Elijah's ready. And so what happens, there there comes a mighty wind. But God wasn't in the wind. Then there comes a earthquake but God wasn't in the earthquake. Then there comes a fire, and God's not in the fire. But then a still, quiet wind blows through, and God speaks. Guys, God's got something to say to us. The times God speaks the loudest to me are the times when I'm paying the least attention. The times when he speaks in that small, quiet voice is when my mind is tuned into him, my heart, my soul is tuned into him, and it feels like he's got my heart in the palm of his hand, and he can just, he can just mold that and take it in any direction he wants. Guys, that's what we want. We don't want him chasing us down, yelling in our ear. We want him wooing us into the secret spot where we commune with him, where we hear from him. So the first step is just simply to wait and be still. Did you know, you Apple iPhone users, that every moment of your day is tracked by Apple? Did you know that? I might be exaggerating. In 2016, Apple did some research on their phones. Of course, they have all that data. The average iPhone user touches their iPhone 2,617 times a day while staring at their screens for a grand total of 2.5 hours a day. That's 2016. They repeated the study in 2019, found that the number had more than doubled to over five hours a day. This is the average iPhone user. I can't hardly imagine it. Five hours a day. When you compare this, to the average time that an adult watches TV per day, three hours a day, we come up with a grand total of eight hours watching screens. Mental health professionals have identified a new illness called hurry sickness. Technology has promised to free us and give us more time, but instead it has bound us. You might have hurry sickness if you're speeding, both in your car and through conversations, the grocery store, or meals. 
You might have hurry sickness if you're rushing through work tasks and household chores to the point where you sometimes make mistakes and have to repeat them again. You might have hurry sickness if you're frequently performing time calculations in your head to see whether you can fit in one more task. You might have hurry sickness if you're feeling irritable when you face delays. I'm just going to keep my head down on that one. (laughs) You might have hurry sickness if you constantly are constantly trying to find ways to save time. Some people call this efficiency. You might have hurry sickness if you're endlessly running through your to-do list in your head to make sure you haven't forgotten anything. You might have hurry sickness, number seven, if... This frequently involves an undercurrent of anxiety, worry, and stress. The Christian philosopher Dallas Willard, who used to be a university professor at UW here in town, was asked, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? After a long pause, he responded, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The psalmist says, be still and know that I'm God. Guys, I just feel like this is a missing ingredient in our prayer lives because we're so busy. We're so busy, we shoot through, uh, the best of us shoot through, you know, a a list and okay, I got that done, put that behind me, I'm gonna go on with the next thing. I think our souls are yearning to wait in the presence of God, to enjoy his presence, to be near to him and close to him. Our souls are yearning for that. But we're just too much in a hurry. So here's the first thing in becoming convinced that God has a plan for our our prayers. That's the first thing. That we wait, that we're silent before him. Here's the second thing. That we ask. Okay, we've waited. Now that we ask We ask him. It's one of those simple principles, just asking. And sometimes this is what we overlook. We are anxious and we worry and we never bring it to the Lord. All we have to do many times is just simply ask. So this reminds me, uh, years ago, I was, I started out in ministry as a campus pastor. So I was, I was a campus minister on a, on a UW system campus. And I was traveling, I was considered a home missionary because of what I did, and so I was traveling to different churches raising support for, to be a home missionary, and, uh, and we got this gig in Des Moines, Iowa, at the largest church in Des Moines, Iowa. Thousands of people in this church. And we were going to be there for a week. So I'm thinking this is going to be so productive, not only for ministry, but for raising funds for campus ministry. I mean, I was stoked. My wife and I both went. We gave our kids away to somebody, and and we went, and we were there for the whole week. I think it was Monday through Friday or Monday through Sunday or something like that, or Sunday through Friday or something, something like that. And we were there with other missionaries that were there for much the same reason and to share their ministry. And you kind of know how that, this goes if you've been a part of, of the missions conferences here. And so I spoke a number of times. I uh, shared my vision. I preached. I did all these things all during the week. Sandy, Sandy did as well. And at one point during the week, the pastor met with each missionary individually. And so when he was meeting for me, he had me in and had me share my vision with him and what we were looking to do and that sort of thing. And, and then he asked me, he said, Greg, so do you have any, 
any like special projects going or anything like that. I go, no, we're just mostly raising money for our monthly support. You know, we want to be able to, we want to be able to, you know, have a ministry budget and a personal budget and that sort of thing. And uh, he goes, great, we'd like to take you on as, as missionaries. I said, thank you. He goes, is there anything else? Is there anything else you're doing or working on that, that we could help you with? And I said, nope, nope, nope. There's nothing going on. It's, it's I'm just mostly looking for this, this monthly support. So the conference comes to an end. We take off. They give us, they write us a big check, which we we're so grateful for. But in the weeks that followed, I started comparing notes with the other missionaries that were there. Turns out, one of the missionaries got $20,000 from the pastor because he had, a, he had a special project that he was working on. And the pastor wanted to invest in that project, so they gave him $20,000. Another guy, $10,000. Another guy, $35,000 to buy a vehicle in Central Africa or something like that, you know. They need a vehicle, so we're going we're gonna to buy that vehicle for you. Guys, all I had to do was ask. All I had to do with that is ask. But I missed my opportunity. I tell you what, I learned something from that experience. I learned to ask. When people, when people ask you if there's a need or anything like that, I've learned to ask. I mean, I've learned to, I've learned to tell, you know, what that, what that might be. I put together a list of things. The next time someone asked me if there were any special things going on, I had a list for them. I had a list. You could, you could take part in any of these things, any of these things you want to do. Guys, sometimes we overlook this simple thing of just asking. Just ask. Just bring it before the Lord. Just bring it before him. He wants to undertake. I don't know how many times I've, I've told my kids, just ask. We're here to help you. No, Dad. Dad, we can, do it on our, we can do it by ourselves. Okay, fine. But I'm here. I'm here. If you need me, I'm willing to help. Just ask. And how much more so our Heavenly Father how much more so? He won't, he won't give us a snake if we ask for bread. He won't do that. He'll give us those things we need. And so let's ask. Secondly, seek. Seek after those things. Make it the priority of life that we are seeking God in prayer. Like, like uh, Jacob wrestling with God. I'm not going to let you go until I receive a blessing. I think of Abraham and the angel of the Lord who was going to destroy Sodom. That Abraham wouldn't let him go with just destroying the city. He said, he said, would you destroy the city even if there were just 50 righteous people there? And the angel of the Lord said, nope, nope, I went destroyed for 50. And Moses says, well, you know, I know you already said 50, and I hate to ask again, but would you destroy it even for 45 people? And the angel of the Lord says, no, nope, I wouldn't do it for 45 people. God, please, thank you, you've been so gracious, and I shouldn't even be talking this way to you, but what if there were only 30? Would you destroy it for 30? Nope, I won't destroy it. God, I really shouldn't be asking, I really shouldn't be even venturing out in this direction, but what if there were only 20? He continues down to 10, and, and God says, I won't even destroy it for 10. Abraham wouldn't let him go. He wouldn't let him go. Well, how about 45? How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? And then finally, knocking. So we're waiting. We're waiting. We're asking. We're seeking. And finally, we're knocking. Sometimes the door seems closed. Sometimes the door seems closed. Now, around here, there's an unwritten, unwritten law that if your office door is open, 
People are free to come in, sit down, chit-chat with you until you ask them to leave. But if your door is closed, not necessarily latched, but it's closed and, uh, and not latched, but closed, then if you have something you really need to talk about, you can come in and talk about that. But if the door is closed and latched, meaning that the latch is caught, you know, it's closed all the way. If that's the case, then don't even bother knocking because I'm busy. Now, this is mostly for Pastor Joe, but, but most of us understand this. Most of us understand this. So this is in this, in this parable about the person coming at night and, and the, and the uh, neighbor saying, hey, I'm already in bed, the door's already shut. He's saying, you shouldn't even be asking. You shouldn't even be asking, you should go away. It's at midnight, everybody's in bed, and the door's shut. But Jesus says, even though he won't give him the bread because he's a neighbor or a friend, he will because of his persistence. And the word here is more like shameless knocking. It's like you know you shouldn't do it. It's the opposite of proper. It's like you know you shouldn't do it, but you're going to do it anyway. That's what Jesus tells us to do. To ask, to seek, and to knock. When the door seems closed, keep knocking, church. Keep knocking, keep knocking on that door. Wrestle with God until that thing comes about. Don't give up. Never stop praying. And then here's the last thing that I think we have to, we have to be sure of. We must be convinced that God answers prayer. We must be convinced that God answers prayer. So after the first service, Speaking on answered prayer, of course, I had half a dozen people come up to me and say, I have the greatest testimony for you. And they would share this testimony of how God answered prayer. Just a half a dozen. In our staff meetings on Tuesday mornings, we often share testimonies of answered prayer, things God's done in our midst. God, God is doing all kinds of things all over the place. Not, not too long ago, there was, a, there was a lady right down here in the front that my wife and I were praying for. And, and she had a growth on her arm. And uh, she said, could you pray that this growth would be removed? And so my wife, my wife prayed, prayed for her, and nothing seemed to happen. But, you know, you just trust the Lord. You just know that he's good and give thanks in all things and that sort of thing. Later that night, she sends a text, hey, the growth is gone. It's gone. And then she comes. She comes later that week and shows me, and her skin is pristine, just like it was never even there. Sandy and I made a, made a huge investment here recently in the last year or so. We took money out of our retirement and used, used some of Sandy's inheritance from her dad passing away. And we made this huge investment, a $40,000 investment that wasn't going well. And my heart, I was just, I was just kicking myself. Was, Greg, you took your wife's inheritance and you squandered it. And I was just ripping my heart out. I was just like, I can't believe this is, I mean, it was just tearing me up. I was losing sleep. I was, I was, I felt, I felt so, so unworthy. And we had a friend over and I, I was telling her about it, family friend. I was telling her about it and she says, well, have you prayed about it? Well, I was a little indignant. It's like, I'm a pastor. What do you think? 
Of course, I hadn't prayed about it, so. (laughs) So I said, why don't you pray for us? And she begins to pray, and while she's praying, the Lord just, just like it just lifted off of me, just like it just took it away. And it was just like, you know what, Lord? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we lose $40,000. You are our provider. You are perfect. Now, I got to tell you, the investment's going really well now, so don't worry. Don't. <laughs> but just lifted that, just lifted that off of us, and it just felt, it just felt, I'm free. I'm free of that. So last week, someone shared a testimony in a prayer meeting I was in, and it was, it was so beautiful. I said, hey, would you mind asking that fella if... I could have permission to share that in church on Sunday. I'm, praying, I'm, I'm preaching on prayer on Sunday. And so this guy got me, got me the information. I want to read that to you in just a second about, about answered prayer. But first, I want to tell you an account of a person who was miraculously hurt, healed from MS. She was 15 years old when she contracted it. By the time she was 25, she was in an embryonic position. Her hands were turned in on her wrists. Her knees were up to her, up to her chest. And she, she had gone blind. She had tubes to go to the bathroom, tubes to eat, tubes to breathe. Just, she, was just keep, she, was just, she was just on a wing and a prayer. And the doctor said to the family, they said, this is the last time. This is the last time. If she gets one more infection, she will not be coming back to the hospital. She will She will die. And the family called the local radio station. They said, they said, could you just put out in the air that we're praying, we're praying for our daughter and this is her situation. And, and they put it out in the air and 450 people responded with cards and letters to Barbara Kaminsky, now Barbara Snyder. And so some of the ladies from church brought the cards and they're reading them to her because she's blind. They're reading them to her, and while they're reading them to her, there's a voice that comes from behind her, a bold voice that says, get up and walk. And at that moment, there's something stirring in her heart that she says, she says to her friends there, she says, I want to get up and walk. And her friend says, no, don't do it. Let me, let me go get your family. We'll be right back. And so the friends all take off out of the room. As they go out of the room, she hops out of bed. She hops out of bed and she's standing on her feet and she realizes as she's standing there that her hands are down by her side. And she realizes when she sees her hands down by her side that she can see. And so none of the atrophy or anything that would come, come with that. I mean, she's just, she just healed and she's calling out to her family and, and growing impatient. She goes out to her family and tells her, tells her family what happened. Well, guys, this, is, this healing is all over the internet. You just, you just Google Barbara Kaminsky Snyder and you will, see, you will hear the miraculous story. This was 40 years ago and she has, she's had no recurrence of MS. I mean, I mean, go ahead. It is a faith builder. We must be convinced that God answers prayer. Then, in closing, this account that I heard just last week. For seven years, I've struggled greatly with a head injury that occurred from a slip on the ice in February of 2017. Once an athletic person, I became unable to lift more than five pounds and basic tasks like carrying groceries or bending over to tie my shoes became difficult. 
I experience ringing in my ears and pressure in my head every day. Despite visiting many doctors, I receive very little help. I used to be a positive and outgo- I used to be positive and outgoing, but my head injury has made it difficult to ever be happy again. One of my sons also suffers from addiction, and in 2023, his addiction worsened to the point where I lost my relationship with him. The pain of losing him has been so great to handle that I've often contemplated taking my own life. The The pain became so intense that I began to stutter and even experience seizures. My pastor took me to a local businessman who prophesied over me and we prayed together. Miraculously, I received healing. I no longer suffer from pain, pressure, or ringing in my head. I've been able to start working out again. I feel great, I feel a great sense of victory and I've been, that I've been fully healed by God's grace. Moved by the miracle God performed, I brought my wife in two days later. She was suffering from anxiety and depression due to what we had endured. She also had a similar and profound ex- experience. Her anxiety and depression are gone and our family is now stronger than it's ever been. I thought healing was impossible at this point, but Jesus showed me that though the power of, through the power of faith, all things are possible in his name. My family and my faith are changed forever. Guys, that's the Lord. A Pew research in this Pew research that I was reading, let's all stand together. That way you'll think you're getting out soon. In this Pew research that I was reading, they did research in 10 different nations on four continents. And in their research, they found that 200 million people reported seeing the miraculous in their life. 200 million people. That's just, in, that's just in 10 countries. Guys, God wants to work through your prayers. He wants to work through your prayers. But he needs you to never give up, to never stop praying. Keep praying. Let it be a lifestyle. Let it be an attitude of prayer. Ask, seek, knock, come after him and know that God is answering prayers. God is answering the prayers of his people. And when we don't receive the answer we get, let's believe him that he's still God. He's still powerful. He's still faithful. He's still listening. He's much wiser than we are. His ways are so far above our ways. We have no idea why he answers this prayer and seemingly doesn't answer the other. We don't know, but this I do know. We can trust him. We can trust him.